I'm just going to pray this prayer. Father, I just thank you that as we get into the word today, that um, there is no weapon formed against what you want to say that will prosper. And I thank you, Father, that um, yeah, that there is something that's going to be released today that is going to be the word in due season that we need to hear to break through to a level that we've never experienced before. I thank you that there is a level right in front of us, just a membrane away that we are about to step into. And I thank you that even though the the resistance has been great, I thank you that today there is a breakthrough in our perception, in our faith, in our believing, whatever is needed, God, that we're just about to punch through to that other side in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I started something last week, and I, I, I just want to spend a little bit of time back on that same topic. I didn't feel that I was released to move on. Um, you know, last week we began, uh, and I talked through the topic, the jurisdiction of heaven. And, you know, I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty out there last week. You know what I mean? Like, I just really laid it out there. I mean, I was just like, okay, um, it needs to be heard and it needs to be said. Uh, because two, we are passive too much of the time. And we allow things in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones, in the lives of our cities, or in the, in our communities, uh, in our churches. We just, we're too passive. We allow things that Jesus defeated, that Jesus overcame. And we are waiting on God to do something when he's already done something. And we're just, we get deceived into thinking that he needs to do something else rather than just standing and using his name and enforcing the jurisdiction of heaven in the earth. Now, the jurisdiction of heaven is like any other kind of jurisdiction. How many of you know, like, when you drove, if you came in from, I said this last week, if you drove in from Colorado Springs up to Prayer Mountain and can Counter Church today, you were in El Paso County, and then somewhere along, uh, you know, right over here by that, whatever that little diner place is, whatever it's called, Crystal, Cristola, right? You passed through Cristola, and so you left in El Paso County, and then you hit Teller County. And, you know, I, for many years, it was interesting. They, they had El Paso County, or um, the sheriffs and police officers would park a few of their police cars. I don't know if you guys remember that, just right over the county line. And I'm not exact, I, I think I used to know why they did that, but it was like, why? They didn't have jurisdiction here in Teller County. Right? There's different police forces. There's different uh, county seats, right? There's different uh, elected officials. Why? Because there's different jurisdictions. So, so it's a governmental uh, thing, right? Well, when Jesus came, okay, when he started his earthly ministry, he basically had one message. Now, I know he did the parables, and, and he, you know, he did the Sermon on the Mount, and he did a lot of different talks, if you will. But his primary message, and the message that he empowered his disciples, 
and commissioned those disciples to go out and preach was the same message that he came preaching. And the message was this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. All right, let's just go to, uh, let's go to Mark and let's just go to Mark chapter one. And I'm going to start there. All right. And I'm going to start in verse, um, I'll start in verse 15. And this is, it's in the red, so this is Jesus talking. All right. And it says, and saying, well, let's read in 14 to give some context. And after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Say this with me. The gospel of the kingdom of God. What does the word gospel mean? So the good news of the kingdom of God. Right in verse 15, he said, the time is fulfilled. Say it a different way. The time is now. The time is right now. In the, in the Amplified, it says the appointed period of time is completed. So the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent. Change your mind that the, let me th- say it differently. Change your mind that the kingdom of God is somewhere out there. Change your mind that the kingdom of God is somewhere in the future. Change your mind and agree with the good news that the kingdom of God is here. Okay? The kingdom of God is here. Let me say it a different way. The jurisdiction of heaven has arrived. The government of God is on the earth. And the king of that government, because it's not a democracy, okay? Nobody elected Jesus as the president of the, of, of the heaven, all right? It's a kingdom with a king, and his name is Jesus, and the king stepped foot on planet earth. So wherever the king showed up, his kingdom was there with him. Remember, remember when he stood before um, Pilate, and he said, my kingdom is not of, is how it's sometimes translated, but really a better translation is not from, is not from this world, right? So he shows up and he's announcing, by the way, this is good news. It is good news that the government of heaven has shown up. It is good news that the jurisdiction of heaven is now on the earth, on the planet. It is good news that uh, heaven has invaded earth. There is an invasion of the culture and of the presence of God in the earth. And this was his message. And if you go and kind of see what he did, he didn't just say it. He demonstrated it. And everywhere that Jesus went, he basically was releasing the jurisdiction of heaven. So if there was a blind man, how many of you know he got healed and got his sight back? Why? Because there's no blind people in heaven. Right? If, if they were, if they were at a, at a camp meeting, and there was thousands of people, but only, there wasn't any food and everybody was hungry. 
How many of you know just the food got multiplied? Why? Because there's no starvation. There's no lack in heaven. There's no, uh, there's no such thing as hungry people with going without in heaven. So the jurisdiction of heaven says increase. Right? And it increases what you had, what he had. He just had a few fishes and loaves and the kingdom of heaven came, the jurisdiction of heaven. Why? Because heaven is a place where there's only increase. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. There is no decrease. There is no, that's the curse. The curse is decrease. The blessing is increase. How do I know? Because in the beginning, when the original invasion of heaven happened on earth, in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? That was the first time that heaven invaded earth. It was the first time when God's will that the earth look like heaven began that mandate to make the earth look like heaven. That's when that, that's when that campaign was started. That's when the, the, you know, like when we, um, you know, I, I remember like the Iraq invasion, you know, I remember, or, you know, Iraq invasion when we were, when, you know, it was like the missiles and all this, they call that a campaign, right? And the US, United States invaded, right? Well, in the, right, the earth was void. It was without form. And God said, let there be light. And he began to speak. Let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And he planted a garden, right? And he placed Adam in the garden and he created male and female, right? And he blessed them in his image. And he said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth subdue it and have dominion, right? Over the fish, over, I mean, if we go back and read in Genesis 1, you'll see, I mean, God was creating a, a, a campaign to make heaven on earth. And he gave Adam the assignment to tend it, to till it, to multiply it, to make that garden cover the planet, Right? So Jesus, when Adam lost that and he gave it away to the God of this world who blinded the people's minds, he blinded Adam and Eve. That's what happened. When their eyes were open, their eyes were actually closed. And a blindness came upon the human race. And the blindness came to, um, like I said a moment ago, it came to make you believe this illusion of separation just invaded the planet. A separation between the spirit and the materialist. A separation between heaven and earth. A separation between God and man. And you're like, well, that separation was real. The word says that we were aliens against God in our minds. In our minds. And so when Jesus came and he announced the kingdom of heaven is here, he didn't just announce it. He began demonstrating what the jurisdiction of heaven brings with it, which is wholeness. That's what the jurisdiction of heaven brings, wholeness. It is heaven on earth. Now, we read last week in Matthew 16, and let's just go back there again. I'm going to read it. I just have it here so it's faster. Matthew 16, 19 says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Peter, he's talking to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Last week, we read that in the Amplified and I'm going to read it again because it really doesn't make sense until you really amplify what it means to bind and loose. 
because uh, I've heard all kinds of things about binding and loosing, you know, it was like a whole teaching that went around in like the 80s and 90s. But let me, let me read it in the Amplified because I really feel it pulls it out. It says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind, and here's the Amplified portion, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what already is bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, declare lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven. So here's the deal. There are some laws in heaven. Number one, the law of love, right? But in heaven, it is illegal for sickness to exist. It is illegal in heaven for poverty to exist. It's illegal for depression, oppression, right? Demonic possession. All those things are illegal in heaven. Poverty. Did I say that one already? All right, just let me say that one again. Poverty, right? Illegal. It, disease of any kind, right? Illegal. Now, the problem is, is that we think that's in the here, you know, in the by and by sometime. We think, oh, when I get to heaven, these aches and pains will be over, right? When I get to heaven, I'll get my mansion in the sky, right? When in reality, heaven is here. Well, what about the future? Well, you know, there's a lot of debate about the future. But here's what I know. Let's get the past right first. Because if you can't get the past right, then you will have a distorted view of the future. And the past points to one place, and it's called the cross. And the resurrection, it's the cross, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and what actually happened. And if you don't have what happened right, you are not going to have what's going to happen right. Because you'll still believe in an empowered devil. And I read my Bible. Now, I didn't read a whole bunch of books about people that had these experiences. I didn't read those books. I read the Bible because there's a lot of people that have a lot of experiences in the body of Christ that are absolutely, completely unaligned with the victory of Jesus at the cross. And I will not read anything that empowers a disempowered devil. I will not read about Damien and 666. I will not read that because you tell me why. Tell me why. I'm just going to throw it out here. If Damien walks in today, tell me why I can't cast it out in the name of Jesus. If it walks in today, if I'm one with the king of kings, if, he, if the veil of the temple was split so that I could get inside of him, and I live and move and have my being in him, and I'm seated in heavenly places with him, and I am one with him, and I experience my oneness. It's not just something I talk about or say on a Sunday morning or sing about, but I actually live from a place where the king of kings is in me. First of all, the demonic realm knows it. And it knows when you don't know it. But when you know it, see, Jesus has a name above every name. Oh, by the way, <laughs> Let's just read it in case you're not sure that this is right. Let's go to Ephesians. Like, I think people in the church should read Ephesians for a whole year. That is my assignment. Just read Ephesians for a whole year before you ever pick up any book about eschatology. Can we? 
Can we read a book that talks about who Jesus is and what he accomplished? Here it says in Ephesians chapter 1, it's, Paul's just praying for the church, bless their hearts. I mean, he's just praying, dear Lord, enlighten their eyes. Enlighten their eyes. Give them a spirit of wisdom, uh, of revelation, the knowledge of you. Okay, verse 17 and 18. The, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. That they would know the hope of their calling. And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, in the saints, in the saints, in the saints, in the saints. Where's the glory of God? In the saints. Why? Because who's in there? Who's in there? No, like a theoretical Jesus? I'm asking a theoretical Jesus or the real Jesus? Okay. Because most of us live with a theoretical Jesus living inside of us. It's theoretical that he's in there. But we don't really, really believe. You know, I posted on Facebook this week that I spent a whole year meditating on Colossians 1.27. It messed me up for, for Christianity. It messed me up for church. It did. Why? Because I stood in front of a mirror and it said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I stood in front of the mirror and the Holy Spirit, you said, you stand there till you see it. Now I stood there a long time. Whole year it took me. Whole year I sat there and I meditated on Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And finally, I mean, I didn't know what, am I looking at like the sweet little Jesus walking down the Sea of Galilee? Am I looking at the crucified Jesus, the one that came out of the tomb? Like I was having trouble. And he said, go to Revelation chapter one, Shalice. Because it's the resurrected Jesus that lives in you. And he's got hair that's white like wool. And he's got flames of fire come out of his eyes. And his feet are like burnished bronze. And he's got seven stars in his hand. And um, you know what? His mouth comes out of his mouth as a two-edged sword. And this dude is a bad mama jama, man. Like if I was the devil, I would not want to run to him. I don't, I don't want to see him. I don't want to be around him. I'm like, uh-uh, later, babe, I got to go. Right? And I stood there and he said, now, now see who lives inside of you. For a year, I did this, okay? This is not about me. This is about you. <laughs> because, you know, I would, that year, I will tell you, I can't describe to you what my life was like. I would sit at a gas station, because it's cold in Chicago, so I'd, you know, put the gas thing in there to fill up the tank and then go and get the car, right? And freeze my little booty off while the gas is coming. And I would have heroin addicts come up to me and knock on my window. And I would roll down my window just a little bit, so I, just enough to get my hand out of the window, so I could touch them and watch them get delivered. Why? Because the scary Jesus was in my car. Scary Jesus was pumping gas. Now, I'm just telling you, if the body of Christ got that one revelation, a lot of the nonsense that we call church would be over. Now, in Ephesians, I'm going to go back. Enlighten the eyes of their understanding. That they would know what is the hope of his calling. What's his calling? Scary Jesus in you. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? And let me say this. In the Amplified it says, And what is the immeasurable 
and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe. Who believe. What is, let me say it again, because really the English language, like how do you, how do you say indescribable power? How do you say the, I mean, we say, we say the scripture, like the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead lives in me, like we actually know what that is. And how many of us have actually ever raised anyone from the dead? No, I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying our identities are jacked up. And most of the time, we think we're doing something good. And it's, I just, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just saying, you're supposed to be him in the earth. See, even that messes with our rocks with our little religious minds because we think it's pride. We think it's pride. And that's what got Jesus crucified. Let's be clear. That because he made himself equal with God by saying he was the son of God, it got him crucified. Yet it's been so watered down for us now that we call ourselves son of God and nobody gets mad. Nobody gets offended when we say that we're the children of God. Why? Because it's just a, it's a, it's a figure of speech. It's just become a, a, a something that we say. It's just become something, it's, a, it's, it's become religion. It's become void of power. It's become a form of godliness that is void of power. Because I'm telling you, your life should actually be offensive. I don't mean that you're trying to be offensive. I'm telling you, it should offend the mind. It should offend the mind. And I will tell you, the spirit... Cannot, I mean, I'm just saying the demonic realm, the kingdom of darkness cannot afford for you to get what I'm telling you today. Because see, they're already bankrupt and sitting on the body of Christ's stuff like it's theirs. And because we don't really believe, we live in a theoretical Christianity. We're living from a place of separation. It... it, I mean, they just, they, they just, they've stole us blind because we're not operating in the jurisdiction of heaven. We're not operating as him. Now, granted, let me tell you, I mean, to teach this, this is a meat, meat, this is meat. What I'm giving you, it's actually just basics. <laughs> this is the basic gospel. I mean, this is literally like gospel 101. I mean, I actually got that assignment not that long after I got filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, I just got, I mean, I wasn't like in, you know, advanced Christianity, right? I was in baby Christianity, right? But granted, I was in massive oppression. I had, was struggling for my sanity. I'd been diagnosed with manic depression. I mean, you tell me about that. That's, you know, this woman thinks she's God. I mean, you know, I mean, like you, you know, like, isn't that a, isn't that just like a twisted sick sense of humor that God has, right? I'll get the insane girl and tell her that she's got God living inside of her, you know? But it's the gospel. It's the gospel. And actually, the more I got in, I got a revelation that he really was in me, the more I stopped realizing I'm not crazy. That ain't nothing but a crazy spirit. And you know what? It doesn't, It's illegal. It's a, insanity is illegal in my life. What? 
I've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. This is illegal. This isn't me. This isn't me. You know, the one that I saw standing in the mirror, the one living in me, this is me. This is us. This is who I really am. And in Ephesians, he says here, he says, and what is the exceeding greatness? Again, I'm just going to, because it's so indescribable. What is the immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength? Now, this is what he's saying. I'm going to keep reading and then I'll come back. Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. So what, what, God, what, what Paul is saying here is that there was a display and a demonstration of power that, that when, when, when Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, when death was defeated, when the enemy was defeated, the enemy was disempowered. The enemy was stripped. Death lost its dominion. I mean, in Revelation, in that same chapter 1, it says that Jesus holds the keys to hell and the keys to death. If he holds the keys to hell and the keys to death, what keys does the devil have? In Matthew 28, it says, All authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now go and make disciples. He has the keys of hell and the keys of death. And the demonstration of this unlimited power, of this surpassing power, of this immeasurable power, this unlimited power, it was demonstrated in his strength, his mighty strength, when he raised Jesus from the dead and set him at the right hand of God. But we've heard it so much. We've sang about it so much that it's really, you know, it's hard for us to grasp in our mental capacity the strength and the power and what was displayed on display there. But that power in that what was displayed there is not just God's power being displayed there. It's the power in you. It's the glory in you. Because he's in you. The resurrected king is in you. He's in you. And it's not a theory. It's not a theory. It's only a theory because we don't really believe it. You know, in that year, it was kind of a little isolated year for me. And I'm so thankful that it was. Uh, Because, you know, the word says that we compare ourselves with ourselves. It's not wise. And, you know, I was naive. You know, it's kind of like these people that you hear that get saved and read the Bible and don't go to church, and so they start experiencing the same thing that's in the Bible. And then they go to church and people say, well, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. You know, and you almost get talked out of, I mean, I, this has happened. I mean, this has happened. This has been my experience. Like, I have gone places, and because of the, the theology that's being presented, I could literally feel the power, like, draining out of my feet. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why? Because it's, 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 a, it's such a, you don't even know how to unpack it sometimes because it's just the foundation is wrong. And if the foundation isn't right, any other theology that you build on top of that is going to be wrong. And if you don't have a foundation of Christ in you, a foundation of Christ in you, I mean, when you go back and look at John, it, it look at the, the specifically like John 14 and, you know, some of, the, some of the way that Jesus ministered, the Father and I are one, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
right? In my own self, I can do nothing. But as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father that sent me, right? Um, I mean, on and on and on and on again. Jesus operated from a place of oneness with the Father. He, he, was, he, was, as, he was one with the Father. Now, let me tell you that that is what sonship is. Sonship is operating as one. It's one-ship. That's sonship, one-ship. Right? And he told, like, his disciples in John 14, you know, this is when, you know, let me just read a little bit of it. It, it, it reads really well. I'm trying to remember what translation reads the best, but let me just read it, and we'll see. Um, In verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Cause us to see the Father. That's all we ask, and then we'll be satisfied. And sometimes I feel like this is us praying. Show us your glory. Or us praying, God, show me you. Show me you. Show me. You know, like, we're, we're praying from such a wrong perspective. Jesus said this, Have I been with you such a long time, and you do not recognize and know me yet, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say then, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? I'm going to ask you, do you not believe that the Father, that you are in the Father, and that the Father is in you? Do you not believe? I mean, I know we say it, but we're like Philip, show us. We still say, show us, because we're still looking for something else than what's already been done. And then he says, what I am telling you, I don't say on my own authority and my own accord, but the Father who lives continually in me does the works, his own miracles and deeds of power. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very sake of the works themselves. If you can't trust me, at least believe these works that I do in my Father's name. And he says, I assure you, most solemnly, I tell you, if anyone steadfastly believes in me, he himself will be able to do the things that I do, and he will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second. Why? Because when he goes to the Father, back in verse um, in verse 6, he says, I'm the, the way, the truth, and the life. And before that, back in verse 3, he says, I'm going to make ready a place for you. I'll come back again, and I will take you to myself. That's where I am. In verse 2, he says, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. And we think this is some kind of like, you know, Donald Trump mansion in the sky, when the Father's house is his, his, his self. His, he's, he's his house, his body. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. And I'm going away, boys, to make a dwelling. you got your own room in the Father's house. In Daddy's body, in Daddy's house, you got your own room. And you're going to be right there in the Father. You're going to be in the Father, just like I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. The way that we are operating now, you're going to be, you're going to be in this thing with us. We're all going to be one. You're going to be my body. See, even just the concept we still, like, it's the body and the head. It's not the headless horseman. It's not a horror show. It's the body, the body of him. It's a oneness thing. This whole, this, it's full of the body. The Bible is full of this stuff. 
The new covenant is full of this, but somehow we just haven't, we haven't majored on it. And so we have an identity crisis. We have a, we have a crisis in who are identities. And we will, we'll go far enough to be fathered by God. We'll, we'll, we'll allow ourselves to be fathered by God. We'll, we'll allow ourselves to be the bride of God. But how many times are we having encounters with God where we are one with God? I'm just asking, because the majority of our encounters, we're, 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 we're the woman with the issue of blood. Or we're the, you know, we're the woman at, you know, at the well, or we're washing, because I'm a woman, I'm the woman, right? Y'all, hopefully you guys might be the women, it's alright, there's neither male nor female, but, you know, maybe you're the blind Bartimaeus, or maybe you're the, you know, a little boy who brings the fishes and the loaves, or maybe you're, but you, we put ourselves in this place, and I'm not saying that we don't need ministry, because here's the deal, it's a mystery, Right? How many of you know the Trinity are three in one? How many of you know they're the three distinct persons, but yet they're one? Right? How many of you know in marriage it's a picture of Christ and his church and that the two shall become one? So it doesn't mean that we, you know, we're just this nameless, faceless. Frankly, it takes all of humanity to express the glory of God. It takes Jesus in a Shalise suit, Jesus in a Brian suit, Jesus in a Mercy suit. It takes Jesus, it, you know, look as, as all of us. Because the glory is in the saints, plural. Right? But before you move on to plural, you might just grab, because you might just grab it here, just in me. See, the reason why Jesus said the same things that you're going to do, I do, is because the same way he did them, we're doing them. Through oneness. See, because I go to the Father, you get to join me. You get to come into this. Because I ascend... You ascend. Christ said this way, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ in me. And the works that I now do, I don't do of myself. Right? So he says here, in verse 13, these are crazy scriptures. And I will do, I myself will grant what you ask in my name as presenting all that I am so that the Father may be glorified and extolled through the Son. Yes, I will grant, will do for you whatever you ask in my name. And and, and even that, we act like his name is his name instead of our name. The bride gets his name. If we're the body and his name is Jesus, what's our name? It's the body of who? Of Jesus. Whose body is it? But we even have a, I mean, this separation thing has gone deep into every area. Did you see what I'm saying? It's not like we feel comfortable signing a check in his name. What, what, what is an inheritance? It's something that you, that was somebody else's, but now it's yours. Right? His name is our inheritance. He, the, everything's in, in the account in his name. He, he won it all, right? In Hebrews chapter 2, it says he, we're the, he's the lawful owner of all things. So if you went and looked at the title deed of every asset on the planet, who ultimately is the owner of every asset on the planet? Jesus, right? Jesus is the, the lawful owner of all things. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, right? It belongs to who? Jesus. Now, who's a joint heir with Jesus. What does it mean to be a joint heir? A joint, does it mean a co-signer? How many of you ever had a joint account before? Right? 
Now let's say you're the one that made all the money, and then you that I, I make I made all the money, but Linda, I'm gonna make you a joint signer on the account. Now, is it true that you could go up there to that account and get all the money out of the account? Why? Because you're a joint signer on the account. That's why they tell you, don't put a joint signer on the account unless you know this person, right? Like, unless you're married to them or something, right? Why? Because it, that's just, it's their money too. I mean, as soon as you put them on there, it's theirs. See, that only blows our mind when we still think of ourselves as separate. But the moment you become one, it begins to make sense. Now, let me say this. There is... The spirit that came after Jesus is still the spirit that comes after this revelation. And it's, it's religion. And it is not pretty. Right? It's, it, will, it, it comes after this. Why? Because the religious spirit wants you to deserve it. The religious spirit wants you to earn it. The religious spirit wants you to steward it. The religious spirit wants you to have five steps to, to earn it as one way or five steps to deserve it one way or five steps to get it. It wants a program. It wants you to, it wants you, to, it wants you in and of yourself to say, I did this. Right? But union doesn't say that. It just says, he did it. He won it. And my, I, I just, I'm in him. Religion will say, no, but you still, you know, you might be in him, but you, you know, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to believe. What must I do to be working the works of God? Believe in the one that he sent. Those that receive an abundance of grace and the free gift of life, a free gift of righteousness will reign in life as kings. I have a responsibility to receive grace, the abundance of grace, and the free gift of righteousness. I have the responsibility to receive. I have a responsibility to receive it. I have to, I have to receive it. Here's your union with God. Okay, thank you. Now, I wanted to go to this one place because it says, okay, in verse 16, I'll just read it here. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may remain with you forever. The spirit of truth, who the world can't receive, because it does not see him or know or recognize him, but you know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly and will, talking to disciples, be in you. I won't leave you as orphans, comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn, and helpless. I will come back to you. In just a little while, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that time, when that day comes, how many of you know that the day has come? How many you know that when he says, when that day comes, how many know the day has come? You will know for yourselves that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. You need to highlight verse 20 because verse 20 is like the climax of the whole chapter. It's like the climax of the whole mission of Jesus. It's the whole climax of the gospel of the kingdom. It was that the king was about to possess a temple not made with hands. That there was a new creation that was coming to the earth. That he was recreating humanity. And that he was going to live inside of human beings. 
and the same oneness that Jesus experienced with his father and rebuked Philip. How long must you, you know, see me, Philip? Like, do you not know that if you see me, see the father? Da, 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 da. He's saying here in verse 20, in that day, when that day comes, in a little while you won't see me anymore, but I will come back to you. And when I come back to you, I will live, and you will live because I live. He's talking about his resurrection. In a little while you won't see me anymore. I'm going into the grave, but I'm coming back. And because I live, you'll live. You will no longer, you will not die. You will live. Well, at least you're going to, no, it's, it, it, you don't die. That's an illusion. You do not die. You just shed your body like a coat. You just take it off. I'm still me with or without my coat. I'm not dead just because I'm not wearing a coat. You are not your body. You have a body. I have a coat. But verse 20, when that day comes, you will know for yourselves that I'm in my Father and that you are in me and that I am you. Now, John 17, right? This is Jesus' prayer. I think this is the real Lord's prayer. I know they call Matthew 6 the Lord's prayer, but I, but Jesus really wasn't praying. He would never pray that prayer. He didn't need anybody to forgive him. He didn't need to forgive it. You know, I mean, like, you know, he didn't need to do that. Forgive our debts. He didn't need to pray that. He didn't have any debts. He didn't have any sins. But in Psalm John 17, he's praying right before he goes to the cross. And he prays this in verse 20. Now this is, he's praying, you know, he starts to pray to the Lord. Then he prays for his disciples starting in verse 6, and then verse 20, he prays for those that we're going to believe in the future. So that's us. And he says this, Neither for these alone, talking about his disciples, do I pray. That is not for their sake only that I make this request, but also for all those who will ever come to believe in me through their word and teaching. Okay, have we come to believe in Jesus through their word and teaching? Right? Do we have the New Testament today because of them and what they taught and what they believed and what they passed down? Yes, we do, right? So that's us. He says, this is the prayer, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe and be convinced that you have sent me. Okay, we want the world to believe and we want the world to be convinced. Do we not? Why is the world not convinced and why do they not believe? We have a lot of theories on this too. We have a lot of theories on this. But Jesus here laid out how they're going to believe. He, right here he laid it out. He said, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. Verse 22 says, I have given them the glory and honor which you have given me. I mean, these scriptures are literally like blasphemous. I mean, really, they're like, what? What? Jesus gave us the glory and honor that was given him? What? What? And it says, and then it tells you why, that we may be one even as we are one. The reason why he can give it to us is because we're one. 
We're one with him. We got it because we're one. I'm in them, you in me. I in them and you in me in order that they may become one, perfectly united, that the world may know and definitely recognize that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Now these scriptures, they will transform your life. They will change your life when you begin to recognize that the gospel of the kingdom and the jurisdiction of heaven has, is, is now in the earth still because the body of Christ is still in the earth. Heaven is here because you're here and Jesus is here in you. Jesus is still occupying the planet because he's in you. And when you wake up and recognize that and you believe that you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven and that what you declare unlawful on earth must be already what is declared unlawful in heaven and what you declare legal on earth must be what already is declared legal in heaven and you begin to operate as one with Jesus. The jurisdiction of heaven has its way. And the jurisdiction of heaven continues to be demonstrated. Right? When he empowered his disciples and he sent them out two by two, he said, as you go preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? Let me just read it. In Matthew 10, it says, And when the disciples, when he called to him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And in verse 5, it says, These 12 Jesus sent forth, commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles or into any city of the Samaritans, enter only, uh, into the inner of the Samaritans, or into any city of the Samaritans, enter not. But go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give. Okay, so... That demonstration of the kingdom is the demonstration of the jurisdiction of heaven. And it wasn't just Jesus doing it. He was giving his disciples authority to extend the jurisdiction of heaven. And his disciples were doing that. How? Cleansing the sick, I mean, cleansing the lepers, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. They were extending heaven's rule everywhere they went. As you go, preach. Preach and demonstrate. Preach and demonstrate. Preach and demonstrate. Preach and demonstrate. And what do you preach? You just say, the kingdom of heaven's here. That's what you're preaching. The kingdom of heaven's here. The kingdom of heaven here. What? Jesus lives inside of me. He's alive in me. He was raised from the dead. He defeated the enemy. He conquered death. He conquered sickness. He conquered poverty. And now he lives in me. And because he lives in me, his kingdom is here. And because his kingdom is here, 
His kingdom rules over all. And what you're, that affliction that you're suffering with has no jurisdiction. It is an illegal trespasser on the planet because Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so it must bow to his name because he's been given a name of every name. And because I'm in him and he's in me, I, my mouth is the one declaring it to you now because my mouth is his mouth. And these words that I speak are not my own, but they're the fathers that are in heaven. So in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And we live like this at Starbucks and the grocery store and the gas station and the workplace. You know, Chili's, come on, really? Yeah, really. Yeah, really. You know, there's so many things I could take that, so many places I could take that sentence. But suffice it to say, You know, when I learned these things, by the way, I was not in ministry. I didn't have a pulpit ministry. I didn't have a five-fold call on my life that I knew about. I was a corporate executive just working at a company called PeopleSoft. That, That was my job. That was my assignment. And my little cubicle became the pool of Bethesda. Right? You know, they tried to fire me. During that time, I just got up early, came into the office early, and anointed the whole office with oil. I would go into my senior VP's office. He was Jewish, and I would just anoint his old chair. I'd just slather it up, and I would declare the kingdom over his chair. I would declare the kingdom over his office, and I'd just like, you know, enemy. I mean, I just, I just said, keep going. Come on, you want to come for me? We'll get them all saved. Me and Jesus, we'll get them all saved. We'll just turn this place. We'll have revival right up here in corporate America. You know, God made me know I didn't get fired. I became the number one sales rep is what happened. And they ended up paying for me to go off to trips and stuff because, you know, they paid me to preach the gospel, basically. But I tell you, if I didn't know, if I hadn't had, you know, I mean, even just the idea that I'm being persecuted, I'm not being persecuted. Let's be clear. I am not being persecuted. Jesus is being persecuted. When the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus appeared to him, he said, Paul, why do you persecute me? He, can, he is so one with us. He was the one being persecuted. Well, how was he, how was he being persecuted people? So what? Because the kingdom was coming. The kingdom had come to PeopleSoft. And the enemy can't, he didn't want the kingdom to come to PeopleSoft. I'm just saying he doesn't want, so, so the more you, the more you identify with Jesus. Yeah, okay, so you, there's persecution. Okay. The problem is you aren't fully identifying with Jesus. Because if you were fully identifying with Jesus when persecution came, that would be a good thing. It would actually be a confirmation. It would be a confirmation that your union is actually working. That you're in union with him and that your union is drawing the religious spirit, the spirit of the world, anything that's not the kingdom. Now people are like, I don't want to be in the, I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to, I don't want to. No, I was having the time of my life. 
I was in such a hidden, crazy, fun place. I mean, I remember I had a, I had a car wreck one day. I back, I don't remember what happened exactly. I was in the parking lot. And I mean, I'm just right in the thick of it. They're trying to fire me. My mother's dying of pancreatic cancer. The devil just taking her. I mean, just craziness going on. And I remember I backed out and hit my car. But I was just so in a season with scary Jesus. You know, I just got out of the car and I was like, it's okay. You know, just kept on going. You know, just the care, just, it's just the stuff that we care about. I didn't care about. And I think we live, we live too, obviously separated, but we live in a place where we're passively allowing things to go on. I mean, come on, guys. There's a new sheriff in town. His name is Jesus and he lives in you. And the jurisdiction of heaven is in you. And when you walk into, to wherever you walk, you know, I, and here's, I'll tell you, there's all kinds of things that come at you. You know, like, hey, what is the will of God in this situation? What is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? But I'll tell you, the more you, more you bury yourself in Jesus, the more you get lost in Christ, in Christ, and you just get into that place of union, you know that this is bigger than you. It's bigger than you. Your life is bigger than you and your problems. Man, I need to say that to somebody. Your life is bigger than you and your problems. You need to have big people problems. You need to have bigger problems. You need really big problems. Because the one that lives in you gets glory out of really big problems. We somehow think we get in the kingdom and we're not supposed to have a problem. No, we, we're supposed to be the answer to the problem. We show up for the problem. We're anointed for the problem. And there's an agenda of heaven in every single problem. There is an agenda. There's an agenda. There is an agenda. There's an agenda of heaven in whatever problem you're in right now. What is it? What's the agenda of heaven? What is the agenda of heaven? What is the agenda of heaven in this? What's the agenda? Because I don't seek my own will. I seek the will of the Father who, who is in me, who lives in me. Father, what are you doing? 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 And I'll tell you, living like this is counterculture. The hippies are not counterculture. The kingdom is counterculture. I mean it because it doesn't look like this planet. It doesn't look like the culture of, of the kingdoms of this world. It really doesn't. I mean, when you really look at how Jesus defeated the enemy, man, that is probably not the way any worldly government would have gone at it. He would not have come low. He would not have come undercover. He would not have come in a manger. He would not have come riding on a donkey. He would not have come in humility. He would not have come low. He would not have come, kingly, you know, earthly, earthly leaders don't do that. But the kingdom of heaven comes low, you know? For example, let me just say this. For that time that I am coming in early, anointing my, you know, boss and stuff, you know, I wasn't mad. I didn't have a persecution complex. 
you know, like we do with the world a lot of times. Like this persecution complex. Why? Because he was the, the very one that Jesus came to set free. He, he's, the, he's the prisoner of war. He's the prisoner of war, not the enemy. This person is not the enemy. This person is a prisoner of war. So I was coming in there fighting for the prisoner of war. This person it was a prisoner of war. I wasn't mad at him. I was in love with him. I mean, not, you know, like I'm having an affair with him. I don't mean that kind of love, but I, the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus for the world. You know, I remember when I got sent into this secular training that's, I mean, this thing is, they call it secular training, but it's got Middle Eastern influences. It's got a lot of stuff in there that is not secular, right? I mean, this is straight up New Age spirituality, right? And I got sent into there by the Lord. First of all, the church, you would have thought, oh my God, like they were so ugly. They just thought, I'm deceived, and I'm going in, I'm getting deceived by this, you know, that. But no, Jesus sent me in there. And you know why he sent me in there? To fall in love with the world. To fall in love with the world. To fall in love with the people that he died for. To fall in love with the, the people that he died for. To literally fall in love with them. And I sat with them. The lost is... You know, they don't get more lost. I mean, lost people. Lost, lost people. Ignorant people. They had no idea. Spiritually hungry people, just lost. I mean, lost. Oh, my God. And you just, you know, I remember just thinking, I was so thankful. I was so thankful that I knew the person of Jesus Christ. Like, I knew Jesus. And these people are hungry for something they don't even know exists. It's so incredibly heartbreaking. It is so heartbreaking. I don't know how to describe to you the heartbreak and the love that God poured into me for these people. And they made us do some pretty interesting things. Like in one of the seminars, they made us stand across toe-to-toe from someone and stare at somebody in the eye for five minutes. I'm gonna do, we, the church should have to do this, by the way telling you man it's intense when you have to look at another human being that you don't really know in the eye for five minutes people broke down I fell in love with the world in that experience and was so humbled I was so humbled I don't know how to describe the humility that happens when God wrecks you like that and you realize the religious pride that you walk in and you think that people are, are a problem and that people are somehow the lost or, or the people that don't know Jesus and the people in the world and all these things that the church, like the church, it's us versus them. It's us versus them. Come ye out among from them. It's us versus, it's not us versus them. Jesus is not against them. He's just not. He died for them. He couldn't be more for them. There's nothing else left for him to do for them. I mean, you know, and, and why am I saying all this? I just, just, just the, 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 the heaven's jurisdiction, the kingdom of God. It, yes, it's violent. 
but it's violent against the kingdom of darkness. It is violent against the enemy. It is violence against the things that are holding people in bondage. It is violent, and it, and it, and it doesn't... That's why the Bible says don't judge. Because, I mean, the way people get into the bondage that they're in, none of us, first of all, even know. We have no idea what has happened to people. No idea. And we don't really know is if, if we were them and the same thing happened to us, that we might react the same way. We don't know that. There's no way to know that even. There's only one person that is able to really know the hearts and the intents of humans, and that's Jesus and the Father. I mean, they, you know? And so, what am I saying, Lord? I've said a whole lot today. You know, some of you don't know what you're called to do with your life because where God wants to take you seems like that wouldn't be God. Because we have, we have secular and we have Holy, we have this separation, even, I mean, honestly, it's not just separation between God and us. It's separation between them and us. It's separation between secular music and Christian music. And there's all these separations that we have. That is unclean and this is clean. But, you know, when Peter sat upon the roof and went into the trance and, and God was trying to get him to go over to the, the dirty people, right, the dirty Gentiles, those non-covenant Gentiles, right, he said, do not call unclean. What I have cleansed. So when did he cleanse these dirty Gentiles? When did those dirty Gentiles get cleansed? I'm asking because they didn't, hadn't even heard the gospel yet. Why? Because nobody go preach it to them. Because they were dirty. So when did they get clean? At the cross. I'm just saying, I mean, you guys, you've got to let your theology get shaken up a little bit. Because the way he sees the unclean is not unclean. We see them unclean. And so therefore we won't, you know, well, who are we coming out from among? I, you know, I mean, I mean, really, are we that clean? Apart from Jesus, really? So what makes us better is that we know. What makes us better is that somebody explained it to us in a way that in our darkness, confusion, whatever, wherever we were, we actually were able to say yes, that the Holy Spirit did a work inside of us so that we could have ears to hear the gospel and could say yes. And so now I'm better because I was able to understand and say yes. And I'm telling you, the moment you put yourself in that seat of, well, they should have said yes, or they could have said yes, or they heard, but they, re, they, they, re, they didn't say yes, so therefore they're unclean. Like the moment you start, to, you, you have moved into a place that only can be occupied by God. It's just not, we are them. We are them. Now I get that we, we know him. I get it. But we know him. Because he, he, we didn't find him. He found us. 
you know, I, I, so I don't know how I got on that. Maybe that's going to help somebody today. I don't know. But I'll say this. If you are in a place where you think you're getting a bunch of persecution, you need to ask for a new perspective on that. I mean, I know persecution doesn't feel good. I know when people do hurt, hurtful things against you. How do I know? Because they do it to me too. They're people. We're people. We're people. People do things. Raise your hand. People do things. Raise our hands. People do things. <laughs> are we a people? Do we do things? We are people and we do things, right? So we're peoples, right? We are them. That's what I'm trying to say. We are them. The things that we get mad for other people, we do too. Maybe we don't do the exact same thing, but we do something just as bad. Am I, can I say it? Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, and so, but at the same time, we know something they don't know. To him who is given much, much is required. So the ones that actually have been given it actually are supposed to act better. So the more that we know, the more that we walk in, the more that we know should make us that much more low. Because we are not warring against flesh and blood. We are warring only to enforce the jurisdiction of heaven. Meaning we are only warring to believe. We are only warring so that when we say in the name of Jesus, whatever isn't like heaven, responds. And really... The warfare that I did was that year standing in front of the mirror. That was the warfare that I did. I stood in front of the mirror until scary Jesus was alive in me. Because then scary Jesus got released to deal with whatever needed to be dealt with. Right? So a lot of times we think warfare is a bunch of stuff, but really that was warfare. I think warfare is always the battle for intimacy. I think warfare is always a battle for us to come into that place of rest where the Christ in you is released through you or through someone else. All right, well, I'm going to close it up. Father, I thank you that there's something in here for everybody today. I don't know what specific nugget is for who, and I don't even know what... uh, part of was spoken today applies to each person's personal situation. But I know, Holy Spirit, you do. Yeah. You know, I have just felt something all day today. I don't know what it is, so I'm just going to pray. So I'm just going to say something that I believe may help somebody. I don't know. You know, sometimes we're looking for something significant to indicate that God has shown up or God is moving or that the breakthrough that you're seeking is happening 
where we're just looking for like this powerful something to happen. And I'm just telling you some of, some of the most powerful things God does don't look like the most powerful things. When Jesus was born in a manger, that did not appear to be one of the most powerful things. Even when he, you know, was raised from the dead and the stone was rolled away, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, yes, that was powerful, but it wasn't like it was this a big audience and an arena and a, you know, a big fanfare that was going on with that. And I'm telling you, some of you are in some of the most significant moves of God and it's not looking significant in terms of like power and, you know, and so you're thinking it's not powerful. But I'm telling you, there is something going on right now in some of our lives, some of your lives, that is going to define the rest of your life. In the same way when, I mean, even when Jesus went into the, you know, the temple and opened up the book, and this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears, I mean, that wasn't, didn't seem that all that significant. Un, un, immeasurably significant. Immeasurably significant in what was taking place on planet Earth. And what, with heaven invading Earth. And I'm telling you, there's some insignificant things that are happening right now. And I just get a sense in the spirit. I feel like this, um, almost like this, um, I don't know if it's frustration. I don't know if it's, confusion. I don't know what that is that you're experiencing in your life right now or what I'm sensing in the spirit. I can't, I don't, can't put it, but there is, I can feel it. I can feel it, and even though I don't have a word for it. But I just, um, Father, what, what do you want me to do with that? I just, um, I just release a perspective over you that changes everything. It, it, it's not that it changes What's going on? Because what's going on is you're just, it's just, there's an oblivion. You're oblivious. There's an oblivion that's going on right now. And I just release you, release open eyes to see what God is actually doing. Who am I speaking to? Can you raise your hand if it's you? Okay. Because I have felt it all morning and I just want to address it. So here's what I want to tell you. First of all, I mean, you do not get it. You don't get it right now. So just let me say that very plainly. You do not understand or get what God is doing. Okay? So you're either going to have to, one, just rest in it and let God be God and just let him do what he wants to do and trust that if you need to do something, he's a big enough God to tell you what you need to do. And if he's not telling you to do anything then you don't need to worry about it. You can just get up and make some eggs and, you know, go outside and listen to the birds sing and take a little walk and pick up a rock and say, dude, you made a rock. That's pretty cool. How do you make a rock? I mean, really, like you can literally like go, just be oblivious. Like you can embrace oblivion. Just 
Like, why do you need to know? Maybe the reason you don't know is because, number one, he has much to tell you that you do not yet understand, and you have a mindset that can't communicate at that level yet. One alternative. Or number two, you're hidden for a reason, and your ignorance is a part of the strategy. (laughs) Because if you did know, you might blow it. Okay, so those are two two ideas, right, that you just haven't grown up enough to the fullness of the stature of Jesus to be able to have a mature conversation with him at the level of the mind, this brilliance that this man operates in. Or number two, it's just, you know, he just, he's protecting you and what's go, what he's doing, right? And so really my advice, really, I believe it's the word of the Lord. I believe it's the word of the Lord for you is, man, you just need to be a kid, just get into a place of oblivion and really just enjoy this season. Because I just do believe, I mean, this is, this is just a time, you know. And, um, you know, I can say this as someone who's gone through a lot of seasons with the Lord. And actually him telling me during certain seasons, you will look back on this and long for these days. He's actually told me that. You will look back on this and long for these days. I was not longing for those days in those days. You know what I mean? Like in those days, I'm like, I'm frustrated, I'm irritated, I'm all these different things. And he was just like, you know, he was basically saying, enjoy this season. And there is a revelation of that in that. So just just go ahead and do that. Just enjoy this season. Because when when it switches... You're not going to miss it. You're not going to, you're not, you you guys, the people that raise their hand, raise them again. Let me like, you people love Jesus. You people love Jesus with all of your heart. You are sold out. You love him. He could tell you jump and you'd say how high. He could say, pack up your bags tomorrow. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're sold out. You're sold out. You're sold out. I mean, he gives you a command. You're five feet ahead of him. You know what I mean? You just, you're, you're, you're sold out. And you're not, I just, you're not going to miss it. You are not going to miss it. You are not going to miss it. And then he gave me one, he just gave me one. There's, so I do believe those first two scenarios are right for some of you. The third one he just gave me is he said that there are other people that are in your future that you are going to be in relationship with and aligned with that are not yet ready. There's a, he's working on some things that are not even about you. For some of you, this is about some other people. And this is a, this is a, it's a corporate thing. It's a, it's a group thing. And so we're going to have to be patient because it's, like I said earlier, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. So who can trust him? Boy, I can feel that thing lifting. Can y'all feel that lifting? Dear Jesus, I'm like, what is this? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So literally, I, I, I want you to do a prophetic act. We did this prophetic thing one time, and it was, seemed a little weird. I love this prophetic person. They were a little weird. And if they're listening to the podcast, I love you. I don't mean, I mean, weird in a good way. Weird in a good way. But they would have us, um, they would just, they would, they would have us, we would do these things. And we do this encounter weekends too. It's just encountering God through nature. 
And I just really feel like there's a grace on those of you who feel like you're in a holding pattern or confused and all that things. Just, you know what, to commune with God with nature. So you know what, go outside. It's really easy to do. George Washington Carver, I learned this from him. He would go outside and marvel at things. Like, I mean, just then, just like I looked at a pine tree right then, and I thought, you know, man, I could go snip a little branch off of a pine tree, and I could just stare at that thing and be like, God, the glory of God that's in this little pine branch. Like, how did he think this up? Like, I wonder, did he do the porcupine first, or did he do this? Huh. Is this, and take off one of the little things. It's like, is the pork, is a quill? Is it hollow inside, like a porcupine quill? Like, what, his mind is amazing. Like, I mean, really, you can just get into it. This one guy, he would have us, like, go and get rocks and listen to him. Like, we were like, what? Well, the word says the rocks cry out. And so he would be like, just listen. And you just feel like a weirdo, right? Like, okay. It's not a seashell, you know, and, but, you know, I mean, you feel weird. But let me say this, becoming like a little kid, you know, kids pretend the silliest stuff, and they aren't thinking, oh, this is demonic. I might step into something that is not, you know, I might get into something if I pretend that this, you know, this broom is an airplane, you know. I mean, like, they just don't, you know. So you're not going to die or get possessed if you listen to a rock and it sings a song about Jesus to you. You know, but I mean, I'm just saying, I feel that there's something in what I'm sharing right now. Man, God is big, big. And he just, he's just saying, you know, I'll tell you when it's time. I'll tell you when it's time. In the meantime, you know, just enjoy the season. Hear the birds, look at the pine tree, you know. Yeah, some of us get tormented by time. And, you know, God created the earth in seven days. Don't ever let time torment you like that. He created the whole earth in seven days. Well, yeah, he rested on seven. You know, on seven, he he just rested, right? He probably just sat back and, you know, in his big you know, bay window, and just looked out and, you know, right, had a cup of tea, you know. So I guess what my point is that, you know, just don't let time dictate to you like that. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for just how that ministered and what that was, and I can feel that thing gone. So thank you, Lord. That just lifted right out of here. Whew, wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I thank you, Lord, for just, um, oh, I just see something really special coming out of this season. Really special. Really beautiful things coming out of this season. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Teach us to be little kids.